Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Informed Catholic Podcast. My name is Ned Jabbar, so let's open up with a prayer, please. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. The Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who, by the Holy Ghost, was conceived, born of the Virgin Mary, raised, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he arose again from the dead, and he ascended unto heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Queen of the Rosary, pray for us. St. Joseph, Guardian of the Holy Church, pray for us. St. Thomas Aquinas, pray for us. St. Thomas More, pray for us. St. Michael, the Archangel, defend us from evil. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. So uh, this is going to be part three, uh, episode 14, on the Meditations on the Sadness of Christ. Uh, that's what I'm naming it for this podcast. The book is actually called Thomas More's The Sadness of Christ, and he wrote this in the Tower of London during his last days when he was imprisoned by Henry VIII. And um, I guess I can call him his militia because... Um, you know, the fact that he refuses to support the king on uh, him becoming the head of the Church of England. And also did, he did not want to agree to the divorce from Queen Catherine, the daughter uh, of Isabel and Ferdinand, Catherine of Aragon. And uh, he, didn't, he didn't agree with the king's marriage, his illicit marriage to Anne Boleyn. So... Um, he wrote this because, one, um, almost all the bishops, except for one, all the bishops fell under the power of Henry VIII and signed the document uh, on, the agree uh, on him becoming the head of the Church of England, which was to remove the Pope as the spiritual leader on earth to all Catholics, calling the Pope a foreign enemy. And later on, uh, basically uh, calling anyone who did not agree with his church or did not become a member of his church as enemies. Basically all Catholics, faithful Catholics were in danger of being arrested, losing their property, their land, their home, their funds, everything. And their families would have been in poverty stricken. Um, basically, you would have been an enemy of the state, an enemy of the king. So uh, this is going to be an, uh, you know, an interesting uh, meditation because, you know, you you could pick out hints of what Thomas More is making reference. He doesn't he doesn't make references to the times to his times completely, but he can see that in the passion of the Christ um, 
where this is being repeated in his days and will be is repeated again today what's happening in the church how many catholics are are falling away basically to the to the contemporary culture uh to the lgbt culture going against church teaching rebelling against the church um wanting to make holy communion available to illicit relationships uh to homosexuals to practicing homosexuals married homosexuals uh to to divorce and remarried catholics how many bishops don't even care to the fact that they want to make holy communion available to politicians who support evil um evil ideas such as abortion uh contraception uh homosexuality divorce and remarried politicians especially we see that a lot and they don't care about the 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 blasphemy they're committing uh by receiving holy communion the bishop's not caring so you see much of this is 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 the same as what's happening during the time of the king king henry the eighth and many other people uh throughout history because they feel that it's their right and they want to interpret scripture any way they want so um without further ado let's begin with uh psalm 50 uh it's basically psalm 50 verse 18 so i will point out verse 18 after i read the whole psalm so we won't interrupt it so let's begin psalm 50 the mighty one god the lord speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes. He does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire. Round about him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me, my faithful ones, who made a covenant with my with my sac with, with sacrifice the heavens declare his righteousness for god himself is judge hear o my people and i will speak o israel i will testify against you i am god your god i do not reprove you for your sacrifices your burnt offerings are continually before me I will accept no bull from your house, nor, nor a he-goat from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle a thousand, on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the air, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and all that is in it is mine. I do not eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. But to the wicked God says, What right have you to recite my statutes? Or take my covenant on your lips. For you hate discipline 
and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you are a friend of his, you, and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free rein for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and you speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself, but now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I rend and there be none to deliver. He who brings thanksgiving as his sacrifice honors me. To him who orders his way aright, I will show the salvation of God. Amen. So, verse 18, remember this. This is in the Meditations. Uh, Thomas More pulls this verse out from this entire psalm. If you see a thief, you are a friend of his. All right, and it goes on, and you keep company with adulterers. So, uh, he just focuses on the first line, but I read you the whole verse. And you keep company with adulterers. Okay, so now I'm going to read the um, the passage here. Um, Luke chapter 22. So I'll read the uh, the whole paragraph. It's actually 20, Luke chapter 22, verse 39. So let's begin. And he came out and went, as as was his ways, his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone throw, a stone throw away, and he knelt down and prayed, Father, if thou art willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And when he rose, from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. For sorrow, uh, sleeping for sorrow, and he said to them, "Why do you sleep? Rise and pray that you may not f enter into temptation." So that will end it there. Praise be to God. Okay, so let's read um, the uh, this third meditation on the uh, status of Christ by Thomas More. So let's begin. And his disciples also followed him. He's quoting Luke chapter 22, verse 39 here. All right, so let's begin his thoughts. That is, the eleven who had remained followed him. As for the twelfth, the devil entered into him after the morsel and made off with him, so that he did not follow the master as a disciple, but pursued him as a traitor, and bore out only too well what Christ said, He who is not with me is against me. Against Christ he certainly was, since at that very moment he was preparing to spring his trap for him. While the other disciples are following after him to pray, let us follow after Christ and pray to the Father, together with him. 
Let us not emulate Judas by departing from Christ after partaking of his favors and dining excellently with him. Least we should bear out that prophecy. If you saw a thief, you ran away with him. Psalm 50, verse 18. Amen. Thomas More here points out how Judas uh, took part in the beauty of the Last Supper, but Judas was never part of Jesus. If we notice, when you read the Gospels, and I'm sure many, many of us have read it, and we should read it even now, notice how Judas is always set apart from the others. He was never fully part of that circle. And in many ways, I think he represents those particular Catholics who, ex-Catholics, they often define themselves as ex-Catholics, at least they had the decency. But in many ways, it's people who, it seems to be like a lot of times we meet them, they tend to be even more bitter, more angry, more, uh, they, they, they express a lot of, venom towards the faith maybe because something happened often a lot of times it's the scandal of bad behavior of um, of other catholics maybe it's the hypocrisy the catechism often points out that it could be because of the bad behavior of other catholics in a sense maybe you know something happened obviously, that caused them to have bitterness. And I have often encountered people who have, who were Catholic, raised Catholic, and they have a deep hatred for the church. But at the same time, I, you, know, you, you always notice they can't walk away completely. They can't walk away completely from the church. They come back and they often, I've met people who are artists who have decided to make blasphemous artwork against the church. They often um, constantly are making just really, really hateful things. They, they just can't walk away completely. It's often akin to a, a relationship, a romantic relationship, where the person, when one person in that relationship is constantly um, can't let go. They have to keep expressing their anger. And in many ways, I think a religious, a person who has had a, a deep relationship with their faith is akin to, the, to a romantic relationship. A bitterness develops. Now, who knows what happened? It could be uh, a fallout with a priest a fallout with someone within the faith. Um, maybe their misunderstanding of what the faith is. The one biggest problem I've always noticed is that people always have this idea that the church has to be progressive. The church is, the church, uh, they tend to approach the church more like a, an earthly philosophy than rather a divine mystery. And that's always the case. But people like Judas... A, a particular individual like Judas is 
I often find them very fascinating in a sense that once you encounter Christ, once you encounter him, okay, for someone who converts, they fall absolutely in love with Jesus and you're never the same. But if the individual did not convert, they too are not the same because once they encounter the Christian faith, once they encounter Christ in all his glory in his church, they too are not the same. They too walk away different. Why did Judas choose to follow Jesus? Why did he choose to follow him? If he, if in the end, he would wind up not believing in him, but only betraying him and wanting to destroy him. I often wonder if Judas was angry because he could not believe in him. He wanted to believe in him, but he would not let himself come into faith. Maybe it, it's maybe it sounds confusing. I don't know. There's a book called Barabbas. It's a short novel written by a Swiss, and they made it into a movie. Uh, the great actor Anthony Quinn is in it. In the book, Barabbas's problem was he did not want to believe. He was he did not want to believe. He constantly was always at war with Christ for the next. You could say 30 years, constantly at war with Jesus. Not physically. He was a Jew and he encountered Christ, but at the same time, he was horrified by people's faith around, uh, uh, people around him who had encountered Christ and believed in him. Barabbas was the fear of the fact that Jesus, that Jesus could be who he says he is. He was terrified at the fact that everything they said could be true. With Judas, is that he couldn't see who Jesus is. He couldn't find himself believing in who he is. It was a you know it was difficult for him. It was difficult for him to believe that this is true. He loved him. I would say I want to believe that he did love Jesus but imperfectly, maybe even in the wrong way, you could possibly say. And at the same time, maybe he hated him for his goodness. There are a lot of people who hate someone because of the goodness. Maybe because that goodness shows, shows them how ugly, how much ugliness they have in their own heart. You know, you get that kind of reaction from people. They just can't stand someone being that good. They can't stand someone being truthful. It bothers them. It dries them up the wall. And you could see that. J Judas was the practical person, the practical priest, the practical bishop. Everything with him was practical. He was, a, he was constantly in charge of the money. You get that particular kind of cleric. You see them sometimes. They're practical about things.
they're running an institution. It has to run, it has to function. You can, you know, you, we see that a lot. They're always constantly worried about money. They're always constantly worried about cost and they're less worried about souls in a sense. You walk through that church, they don't see a soul, they see cash. <laughs> it's like that in every church, believe me. You will find that. I've heard many people from many denominations that talk about that. I've met people from the Orthodox Church that they can't stand the priest because the priest, the priest is constantly worried about money. They say, he, uh, one time a fellow friend of mine asked me, she was of the Orthodox Church, Greek Orthodox Church, that she asked me, how many times did they send the collection plate with you guys? And I said, twice. And I said, well, this guy sends it like four or five times. I, said, I asked, what? Yeah. He sends, he's always constantly worried about money. And he's like the most annoying person about, their, about her priest. He, you always see him at restaurants. You always see him smoking. And he thinks he tells the most funniest jokes. And he's always complaining about the costs of running the church. So you see what I'm saying? In a sense, the disciples of Judas are always with us. To him, the church is his livelihood. And I hate to say it, that's what happens with a lot of these guys. Maybe because they they could have been trained that way. They could have, maybe they don't realize why they came into the faith. It's it's very difficult. It's very difficult to, to understand them. But we get a lot of, a lot of these men like that in the church. The, the apostles loved Jesus. They loved him. They wanted to keep him among them constantly. They surrounded themselves around him. They fed off his grace. They nurtured. He nurtured them with his presence, with his, with, with the, his the beauty of his grace. Judas couldn't see that. He set himself apart. He couldn't see himself happy. And maybe in many cases, he probably developed a deep hatred for the fact that they had this joy and he couldn't. It's, you know, maybe there was a certain sense of jealousy. And the devil used that to his advantage. I, I'm not too sure we could say we could feel sorry for him. Because I think that's very dangerous. That's very dangerous. Um, I, I can imagine maybe the apostles at the time someone like John, maybe, or Peter, might have felt sorry for him. But when you go past a certain point, you have to examine the man's life. And possibly Judas was, was also very, very evil. Very evil. Um, we have to understand, like someone like Theodore McCarrick who was a vampire, a pedophile vampire, fed off the lives of innocence, you know, and the fact that he made he made the church his home, 
is very frightening. Someone like that made the church's home is terrifying because it's satanic when someone feeds off an innocent soul destroys their faith through sexual abuse you got to look at them you got to you got to call them for what they are a vampire because those souls are going to be damaged for a long time no human uh medicine is going to be or any therapy is going to be able to heal them except the power of God the power of our Lord that's the only person that's the only medicine that's going to heal them because it's just impossible for, for us to understand that we have to pray for those kind of victims pray for them because that's the only possible and you know while these particular decrepit souls are alive, we should pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for their conversion. Pray that they don't go to hell because we don't want anyone to go to hell. It's hard, I know. To pray for someone who is absolutely monstrous is difficult, but it's heroic. It's heroic for us. Anyway, I'm going to end it here and we'll continue next time. So let's end it with a prayer, please. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. Holy Mother of God, pray for us. St. Joseph, pray for us. St. Thomas Aquinas, pray for us. St. Thomas More, and St. Michael the Archangel, pray for us. Amen.